To make use of a new space, design company TD Atelier installed a box-like structure that opens up into a tiny coffee shop on the rooftop of a five-story hotel in Kyoto, Japan. As the coffee shop, called Miharashi Coffee, where Miharashi translates to a good view, is on the tallest building in its vicinity, customers have unobstructed views of the city's landscape. When the structure of the coffee shop is stored, it compacts down to a small box and takes up little space. The box is opened by dragging the door to the side, revealing shelves with coffee-making equipment. The roof, along with a side panel, can be slid forward to double the size of the structure. The intact part of the coffee shop box is the kitchen area where the coffee machine, sink and refrigerator is built in. The extended structure features a wooden stand for customers to order and collect their drinks. This design is a creative way of using and saving space, which is a prominent concept with a lot of Japanese interior designs due to small spaces in populated cities like Kyoto. American drive-thru coffee retailer, Scooters Coffee, has over 400 stores in 23 states and continues to expand rapidly, with an ambitious plan that could see it almost match Tim Hortons for number of locations as early as next year. Don Eccles and his wife, Linda, opened the first Scooters store in 1998, in Bellevue, after Eccles was inspired by a man who was constructing his drive-thru coffee store. According to Eccles, it took about three months for the store to break even. Eccles explained to a reporter. It was a process, it took a while, and business just kept growing, and we kept trying to get better at it as we went. We kept trying to hire people who were better at things than we were. Now, the company has expanded to about 20 employees in marketing, 15 to 20 employees in human resources, and 100 employees in the operations department. The successful expansion of Scooter's Coffee didn't happen overnight. Eccles remembered that one of the first obstacles for the company was getting the word out in the community. When specialty coffee took off in the US, Eccles said that they just got lucky, as by then, they were already in the coffee business. He also expects Scooter's Coffee to expand to more than 600 by next year, which would put them just short of the number of Tim Hortons locations in the US. We wonder if the couple plans to keep the company private or set it up for an IPO as others have done, such as the recent successful listing of Black Rifle Coffee Company. As Uganda leaves the ICO, the USA might rejoin. Bloomberg reports that Venusia Noguera, who will take over as executive director of the ICO in May, is in talks with Biden's administration to re-establish the US as an ICO member organization. Biden has stated that his administration wants to return to normalization of trade with many of their international partners, in a repudiation to Trump's strategy, which saw the US becoming more isolated against previous trade allies, such as Europe. This is an opportunity for the ICO to move on from the departures of Guatemala and Uganda, the latter becoming particularly acrimonious, and look towards a more positive horizon. Noguera, whose family have long been involved in coffee, hails from Minas Gerais, a central coffee-growing region in Brazil. She explained to reporters that she'd like more consuming nations to join the group, which she feels will provide a more holistic and balanced representation. Under a review by Donald Trump's administration in 2018, the previous agreement was terminated. Noguera hopes to turn that around, 
following some planned meetings in April. We want to bring other consumers to ICO, she said. So it's important to have an agenda that engages everyone. It's perhaps unconventional to see the announcement made before the agreement has been reached, but perhaps verbal commitments were made. It would make sense for the White House to engage, and to be seen to engage, with organizations that represent essential trade commodities. For coffee producers, the action is important because of the importance of the U.S. market. In 2019-20, the U.S. consumed 26.7 million 60kg bags of coffee. Unfortunately, when Trump's office cut ties with the ICO, an important voice in the industry was lost. Noguera, currently a director of the Specialty Coffee Association of America, is the first woman to head the ICO. Suppose she can convince the U.S. to rejoin the organization. In that case, it will send a strong message to other members that they continue to be relevant and a necessary voice that can serve to the whole industry's benefit. Diversification seen as key to future success at Costa. Being big helps if you're a coffee chain dealing with the impact of pandemic lockdowns. Costa should consider themselves fortunate therefore that they sold to Coca-Cola in January 2019 for £3.9 billion shortly before Covid struck, which would have strained the balance sheet of Whitbread, the previous owners. As Coca-Cola released their annual results recently, James Quincy, Coca-Cola CEO, commented on the Costa business. Clearly, Covid impacted not just our total business, but it impacted the Costa business, which is an almost entirely away-from-home business, and so it was very much a bit like our fountain business in the US. Now the company wants to further diversify the product offering and revenue streams by capitalizing on its brand name recognition. One of their approaches is to tap into the rapidly growing RTD market, as well as serve their range of hot drink products through vending machines branded as Costa Express, which have proliferated in places like service stations and grocery stores. I noticed the vending machines being heavily patronized at our local supermarket during the lockdown period. Supermarkets, seen as part of the critical national infrastructure, remained open. Those vending revenues and coffee beans sold through the supermarkets may have been the majority of revenue the business saw during the period as Quincy explained during the earnings call. But, Coca-Cola's ambitions for the brand go much further than the UK, and they've introduced the RTD products to China, where more than 300,000 Costa ready-to-drink outlets are now available in the country as of 2021. So Quincy has been blown off track by the events of recent years, but having deep pockets means they can be in it for the long haul. The strategy is not sophisticated, but they're playing to their strengths by leveraging the brand, taking advantage of Coca-Cola's relationships and logistics network and partners, and diversifying. Building a line of RTD products, installing Costa Express at key locations, and selling home consumption products are possibly a more effective use of capital than increasing their commercial property portfolio. I remember reading some years back that McDonald's internally considered themselves a property company because they owned the land where they built restaurants. I'm not sure of the wisdom of growing a commercial property portfolio right now, with the uncertainties over how many people will return to the office. So Coca-Cola's approach makes more sense to me. Now they have an opportunity to grow Costa into a global coffee brand.
The pandemic might have set them back a couple of years, but the next two years will be the defining moment to see how well the company can execute against their strategy. Several coffee chains, including Luckin Coffee, Tim Hortons, and Starbucks, have recently raised the prices of their beverages in China, mostly due to higher operational costs. Based on menus on mobile apps and media reports, prices have increased by between 1 yuan to 3 yuan, 16 cents to 47 cents. Market watchers are expecting prices to continue rising. China is one of the fastest-growing coffee markets globally, with larger cities forecast to have nearly 11,000 shops by April. According to official data, the market grew at an annual rate of 15% in 2018. In comparison, the global average rate is 2%. Starbucks has increased the prices of some beverages by 1 to 2 yuan. An Americano will now cost 30 instead of 28 yuan. A Starbucks China spokesperson said the company had adjusted its pricing after a comprehensive evaluation and consideration of multiple factors that included operating costs, which was the reason behind the previous price increase in 2018. Earlier this month, Starbucks president and CEO Kevin Johnson attributed the rise to high inflation and a rapid increase in labor and supply chain costs. Despite this increase, some consumers believe that it won't deter frequent customers. Based on data by Euromonitor, Starbucks is still the largest coffee chain in China, taking up 41.6% of the market share. Chinese coffee chain Luckin Coffee raised prices of some beverages by 3 yuan, and based on media reports, hundreds of stores have increased prices from December last year. According to Shanghai Securities Journal, this increase is due to operational costs like rent, manpower and raw material. Canadian coffee brand Tim Hortons acknowledged that the increased prices of some of their beverages were a result of careful consideration of the current operating conditions. Since January, nine types of drinks have increased by one or two yuan since January this year. Arabica and Robusta have also seen significant price rises in the last year, in part due to high freight costs and a severe frost in Brazil. The sea price, the benchmark for commodity-grade Arabica coffee on the International Commodity Exchange, ICE, in New York, reached $2.08 in the middle of last year, at the same time a year earlier, the price was $1.07. Other coffee startups and companies may take advantage of this price increase by coffee chains to sell at-home coffee products like cold brew coffee extract and freeze-dried instant coffee, which have become popular in recent years. Profile Print, a Singapore-based company, whose name is eponymous to the AI tool they have developed, completed their first major funding round, Series A. The company has developed a food ingredient scanner to identify key attributes of many food items, including coffee. The machine, which is the size of an espresso coffee maker, works by scanning a small sample placed in a tray. The company provided details in a media release last week, in which they said. ProfilePrint first unveiled its AI fingerprint prediction technology in June 2021 at the Singapore Coffee Association auction, traditionally held in person but brought online due to the pandemic. 
As brewing and sending samples to the few thousand buyers participating from all around the world was practically impossible, Profile Print was commissioned as the neutral technology partner to predict the Q grading score, taste parameters as well as key attributes, such as moisture and density for all the auctioned coffee beans. This allowed buyers to be more assured of a coffee lot's quality and profile beyond the scores provided by sellers. Mr. Vivek Varma, CEO of the coffee business at Olam Food Ingredients, OFI, shared, We are encouraged by the results from trials we've carried out in both green and soluble coffee using profile print. The technology could significantly expedite the quality assessment process to benefit the entire value chain, from farmers to roasters. We also see the potential of deploying this solution beyond coffee and into other differentiated food ingredients of cocoa, nuts, spices, and dairy. Max Clegg, head of Louis Dreyfus Company's corporate venture capital program added, Profile Print's innovative approach to grading commodities has the potential to enhance operational efficiency while removing an element of subjectivity in the supply chain. LDC Innovations is excited to partner with Profile Print as they commercialize this technology. Despite pandemic-related travel restrictions, Profile Print managed to deploy its solution globally to Europe, Africa, Latin America, China, Japan, Sri Lanka, and Indonesia. Mr. Nicholas Tamari, CEO of Sukafina, commented. Sukafina has completed a pilot with profile print with positive results in Rwanda and Hong Kong, and we are honored to have the opportunity to play a part in profile print's mission to redefine the coffee industry, which benefits both producers and end consumers. We are excited about investing in profile print, in partnership with Lehman Ventures, as it is a major step toward achieving our vision of having a fully traceable coffee supply chain, and of being the leading sustainable farm-to-roaster coffee company in the world. With this funding round completed, the company plans to use the proceeds to expand the team, invest in R&D to meet the growing demand for its services, and ramp up its international expansion. With some of the world's largest food ingredient conglomerates as strategic investors holding equal shares, we are now able to leverage their extensive networks to widen and deepen our product offering, while ensuring that we maintain our neutrality, with the common vision to establish Profile Print as the industry's digital standard for food ingredients globally, said Profile Print founder and CEO, Mr. Alan Lai. Attesting to the company's impressive market penetration, in spite of the pandemic, Dr. Wang Munyu, managing partner of Oriza Green Willow Technology Fund, commented. It is our privilege to lead Profile Print Series funding round and to work alongside their leadership team comprising excited founders and leading scientists with proven track records. Profile Print's ability to bring together the giants of the industry and work together to establish the global digital standard proves that they have achieved a significant milestone in their transformation journey. Mr. Daiki Kumamoto, Venture lead of Real Tech Global Fund also commented on this milestone. The rapid growth of Profile Print following the earlier investment in the pre series funding round has further validated the company's value proposition, and we are grateful to be a part of its further expansion into one of their core markets, Japan. Apart from the accurate score the machine produced in the example provided, the speed it operated was impressive. Bar Talks asked Profile Print's head of marketing, Nicolette Yeo, to expand on some subjects. Bar Talks, can you say how many customers you now have, and are they in a trial phase or using it commercially? Nicolette. 
The team spent 2.5 years on R&D and commercializing during the COVID pandemic. In the last 12 months, Profile Print has quadrupled the number of MNC clients to 24, currently working on about 50 ongoing POCs, as well as serving over 1,000 farmers. The solution is currently deployed globally across countries in Europe, Africa, Latin America, China, Japan, Indonesia, Sri Lanka and Singapore. Bar Talks, who is using and paying for it? Is it the auction houses, the farmers, or the buyers? Nicolette. Our clients include food ingredient conglomerates, merchants, manufacturers, cooperatives and farmers. Bar Talks, is the data stored in the cloud and used to improve the algorithms? If so, will any of that data be made available, such as via an API to trading platforms, to enrich data sets of green coffee being purchased on those platforms? Who owns the data in this case? Nicolette. The client owns the data and has full control over the models built with the data, and these will be made available to other parties only if they permit sharing. For example, a food ingredient merchant may decide to share their model with their buyer so that both parties can use it to ascertain the quality of goods digitally during a transaction. Bar Talks. What does this mean for the future of Q Graders? Nicolette. Q graders will be needed more than before, with the rapid decommoditization of food ingredients such as coffee, as they are essential to train and ensure the models are constantly updated. Well-trained and robust models built on profile print will enhance productivity and accuracy, as it empowers Q graders to speed up the grading process while also simplifying and standardizing cross-border calibration via profile print's online platform. Starbucks has announced that they will be cutting back on purchases of fair trade coffee and has ended the relationship with fair trade in the UK, the Middle East and Africa. The global coffee chain will instead promote its own sustainability initiatives, ending a relationship that spanned 12 years and was one of fair trade's flagship customers. As outlined in a recent meeting between Starbucks and fair trade, we will reduce the amount of fair trade coffee we purchase in Europe, the Middle East and Africa a spokesperson confirmed. Fairtrade was informed of the decision just before Christmas 2021, which must have been an unwelcome end to the year for the organization. We're not sure how much of a surprise the news would have been, considering the Starbucks scheme has been around for a couple of years however. The writing, as they say, was on the wall back then. In fact, the webpage announcing the CAFE program is dated February 2020. We can see that apart from the color of the header at the top of the page, the website hasn't changed at all in that time. As a side note, the acronym, which is as good as you can hope for at a coffee company, happens to be the same as an old standard for measuring car fuel efficiency, the Corporate Average Fuel Economy Standard, CAFE, which I happen to read about in Bill Gates' excellent book on climate change, around the same time. Developed in collaboration with Conservation International, CAFE Practices is a verification program that measures farms against economic, social and environmental criteria, all designed to promote transparent, profitable and sustainable coffee-growing practices, while also protecting the well-being of coffee farmers and workers, their families and their communities, according to a spokesperson for Starbucks. We noted some observers voiced concerns over the maintenance of standards at the company, while others have pointed out that fair trade is not without problems of its own. 
Fair trade, of course, has a much bigger scope than coffee to consider, so perhaps Starbucks, with a requirement to monitor only coffee production, could have an advantage of focus. They've put all their documents online in a sign of transparency. This includes the policy documents for the auditing verification companies. It's worth reading the documents, which we link to in the online article. I thought the documents looked to be considered, with an eye to practical implementation. For example, they expect to shadow audit the company during their initial verification project, and they can dismiss the company if they don't meet a required standard. In one of the policy documents, it states, SCS may restrict verification organization's approval status at will, based on any of the above reasons, or based on suspicions of impropriety or other occurrences or claims that could negatively impact the integrity and or proper functioning of the program. The motivation for the move has not, to my knowledge, been disclosed. I'd be interested to find out if the decision was driven by cost or if bringing the process in-house was perceived as more controllable or lower risk.